You're listening to You Asked For It, a sermon series based on questions submitted by you. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. How are we doing, Elevate? We're doing good? Yeah, yeah. Good to see you, good to see you. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them you really like their shirt they're wearing today. Even if you don't, tell them, you know, now they're going to be wondering all service, does he really like my shirt or not? Anyway, hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you are here. I'm glad to be here, Uh, glad to be back, uh, able to preach with you guys and just serve with you guys and worship uh, the one true God with you guys. I do want to thank uh, all the pastors of the church who really uh, ministered these past few weeks. I think they did a great job. Let's give it up for them. Really, uh, it was great to be able to spend some time with my family, go on vacation, and if nothing else, it has given me a whole slew of sermon illustrations uh, to share with you guys in the next year. Uh, so again, I do thank, I thank you guys for allowing me a, an opportunity to get away, and I just am thankful we've got so many uh, people of God here who can step up and serve and who God has called to ministry. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's all. We don't really have any announcements for you. Uh, we did the live announcements just a second ago. So we're going to get to the message, starting a brand new series today called You Ask For It. You Ask For It. And the truth of the matter is we all have questions. We all have questions that arise sometimes in our life. Things happen and we want to know the reason why. Ever since I got back from vacation, uh, I've had this uh, uh, congestion. I've kind of had this uh, sinus stuff that was going on. And so uh, I didn't know if it was a sinus infection, uh, but I was coughing up all this nasty stuff. I was uh, coughing up all this stuff that really didn't look natural. Anybody ever been there? I know you're like, why are you telling us about this while you're preaching? It has a point, okay, I promise. So I'm like, man, I don't know what's happening. So I was kind of concerned, but I didn't want to go to the doctor because I hate going to the doctor. Anybody else, you hate going to the doctor? Just a couple of us, yeah. Man, I hate it because when you go to the doctor, they're going to make you open up your mouth and stick out your tongue and go, uh, and they're like really looking at you. I mean, they're right here by your face. And then, you know, they, they got these flashlights in their looking at your eyes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes they make you, you know, pee in a cup. Anybody you ever had to do that? Man, I remember here in Vicksburg, man, they made me do that not too long ago. And so uh, they give you this cup and they're like, here, go fill it up. And so I go to the restroom, you know, and then I give them a urine sample. And so then they're like, you got to carry this downstairs to the lab. And so I'm like, what in the world? Anybody know? Have you ever done this? So I'm like, I, you know, I'm walking through the place, and I'm all embarrassed, you know. It's like, and so I go to the elevator, and nobody was on the elevator, praise God. And so I'm like, man, I'm going to make it. Well, I get down to the bottom floor where the lab is. I'm walking out of the elevator, and I see somebody that I know, and I'm like, hey, I hate going to the doctor. I really do. And so I didn't want to go to the doctor, but uh, uh, I still was kind of concerned about what was happening uh, in my chest, in my body, or whatever. And so I said, I'm not going to the doctor. I'm going to go to the internet. I'm going to Google some stuff because we got WebMD now. Anybody ever gone to WebMD? So I'm asking questions. I'm typing in all my symptoms. I'm typing in all the stuff that's going wrong with me. And then I found out that there were two possible conclusions. There were two possibilities for what was wrong with me. One is I had a sinus infection. Or two, I was dying, okay? And so I called Amanda and I called the kids in. Uh, and I told them I loved them, you know, and not to worry about me. And then I went to bed. Uh, but I woke up the next morning feeling a little better. So obviously it was just some sinus stuff. I don't know. Uh, but again, we all have questions. We all have questions, and that's what this series is 
about. We are giving you guys an opportunity to submit topics or questions that you would like to hear a message on. If you haven't already submitted a topic, or even if you have, we want to encourage you to continue submitting more topics because even if the topic that you submit is not addressed directly in this message, it might turn into an entire series of its own. So if you want to submit a topic, what you do is just grab one of those information cards in our chair on the bottom of it where it says prayer request, just write topic and then write whatever your topic is and drop it in one of our offering drop boxes and we'll make sure that it goes into the box. Now the question that we're going to look at today is a very important question. The question that we're going to look at today really is one that each and every one of us need to know how to do and that question is how do I lead someone to Jesus? How do I lead someone to Jesus? It's an important question. And I know that there are a lot of people who think, well, isn't that the preacher's job? Isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that just the professional's job? Well, let's, let's see what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, here's what the word says. Jesus says, then Jesus came to them. Now, let me stop for just one second. And who is the them? Who is them? Them is the disciples. Them is the people who are following Christ. Them are the ones that are around Jesus right now. And Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus tells his followers, Jesus tells his disciples, look, I need you to go and make other disciples. He tells his followers, look, you need to go and make other people follow me. You need to introduce others to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to introduce other people to me. And so as a follower of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you have a responsibility to reach other people who are far from Christ. And in Matthew chapter 28, what I want you to understand is this, this command right here from Jesus to go and reach other people. It's not, it's not some isolated passage. This isn't just a, a one-time thing that Jesus has told us to do. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looked at the people. He looked at the multitudes and he had compassion for them because they were weary and they were worn out. And Jesus looked at the multitudes. And I want you to see what he said in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 to 38. Then he said to his disciples, the people following him, he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant. But the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Jesus, again, he's telling his followers, he's telling his people, he's telling his disciples, go out. We need workers. There are people who need to know Jesus Christ. Go out and reach people. When he called his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus looked at them and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fish for people. What did Jesus say? He didn't say you might fish for people. He said, if you follow me, I will make you fish for people. I will make you lead others to me. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus, again, he looks to the disciples. He looks at the people who are following him, and he says this, 
peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Just as Jesus came to bridge the gap that existed between mankind and God, Jesus looks at us, his followers, and he says, I am counting on you to do what I have done. As I was sent, so I send you. Over and over and over again, Jesus tells us, Go, make disciples, reach people for me. And when Jesus tells us to do something, it's not a suggestion. It's not. It's a commandment. It is expected of us to do this. Tell the person sitting next to you, it is expected of you. Hey, y'all got to say it with a little more confidence. Tell them, it is expected of you. And now look at the person who told you that and said, you too. It's expected of you too, man. It's expected of us to lead people to Christ. But the world in which we live is really interesting. We live in a world where our expectations really don't translate well into reality. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Come on. Uh, how many of y'all have ever seen something on the internet and you said, man, that looks easy. That looks easy. I could do that. Like, like a simple cake, right? Like an Elmo cake. Let's see. You look at that on, on Pinterest, and you're like, man, I can make that. It looks so fluffy. It looks so good. It looks so happy. Surely that will make a kid smile. That is the expectation. But when you try to do it, it doesn't look like this. It looks like this, right? <laughs> this is the reality. That is the reality. We call this a Pinterest fail. Anybody ever had a Pinterest fail? I don't have a Pinterest, but my wife does. And if she's in the room, I don't know if she is or not, but you make sure you tell her that I said everything she ever makes on Pinterest turns out beautiful. Okay. Tell her that it really does. It always looks great. Tell her I said that. But again, this expectation versus reality, it's summertime. It really is. And, and, and some of y'all, this might be some of y'all, but you knew that summer was approaching. So several months ago, Maybe you said, you know what, I'm going to get my beach body ready. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm going to get my pool body ready. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get ready. And so you work out for a whole 15 minutes one time, and then you say, hey, you know what, that's pretty hard, so I'm not going to do that anymore. I'll just start getting a Diet Coke with my supersized meal. And so that's what you do, you know what I mean? But, again, you're, you're wanting everybody to be able to look at you and think, hey, you know, they, they look they look good. They look good. So you're practicing poses. Anybody, come on now, you know, you know somebody who's done that, right? Practicing poses. Again, you want people to look at you when you're in the pool and think that you are beautiful. Ladies, they buy that waterproof makeup. Anybody? You, come on now. I've got a wife. I know she gets that waterproof makeup because, you know, when you jump in the pool or whatever and you come out of the pool, you want people to think you look beautiful like something like this, right? Like something like this. You want to say, hey, man, wow, they look beautiful. They look hot coming out of the water. I mean, this is what you want people to think you look like. But in all actuality, you and I really don't look like that when we come out of the water. We look like this, right? This is what we look like, right? Come on. Man, that's funny. I don't care who you are, all right? That's funny expectation versus reality. Well, I'm here to tell you that as a follower of Christ, it is funny, as a follower of Christ, there really is this expectation from God to you, to me. If you're a follower of Christ, there is this expectation to reach people, to lead others to Christ. But the reality is, Oftentimes, we don't lead other people to Jesus. We lead people further away from Christ. 
And that has to change. It has to. Because people's eternity is depending on you and me doing what God is expecting us to do. People you know, people I know are dying and they are living for eternity in a place called hell. So we've got to do our best to reach them. So how? How? How do we lead others to Christ? How do we lead others to Jesus? If you're taking notes and you want to write them down, I'm going to give you three simple simple ways that you and I can lead people to Christ. The first way, again, if you're keeping notes, is we can lead people to Christ using our lips, using our lips. And that piqued some of y'all's interest. You're like, hey, pastor said I can lead people to Christ using my lips, but I ain't talking about kissing nobody, all right? Get your mind out of the gutter. When I say that we can lead people to Christ by using our lips, what I'm saying is we can lead people to Christ by using our words, our Words And some people want to know, well, exactly what words do I say to lead someone to Christ? As if there is some sort of formula that is going to ensure that this happens. Well, if that's you, what I want you to understand is that you are worrying about the wrong thing. It's, it's not about a right series of word. People who led people to Jesus in the Bible, they didn't have a, a particular formula that they were working with. They just introduced people to who Jesus was. That's what they did. I want you to see this. In John chapter 1, you can read about John the Baptist doing what he did, baptizing other people. So all these people are coming to him, and check out what happens in John chapter 1, verse 35. The Bible says, again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Again, people are flocking to John the Baptist. The attention is on him. And John looks at everybody and says, hey, hey, it's not about me. Look, it's about him. It's about Jesus. It's about the Lamb of God. He is who we need. He is who I need. It's about him. And so the Bible says this. Check this out. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. This is interesting. It was about 10 in the morning. Now let me stop, ask you just a couple of questions. These are not trick questions. I just want to kind of review with you for just a second. Uh, but when did these guys start following Jesus? That day. Yeah, that day, great. You guys are really listening. All right, that's right. That, that, that day, okay, so about what time did they go? They followed Jesus to where he was staying. About what time was it? Yeah. 10 o'clock. Man, you guys are paying attention. I appreciate y'all. Y'all make me feel so good when y'all are participating. It's 10 in the morning. So they spend the day together. And I'm not trying to make the Bible say something that it doesn't say, but at the end of the day, at, at the end of every day, even for us, what happens to the sun? It goes down, right? It goes down, and, and if you, as long as you don't have a kid sleeping in your bed, kicking you in the back all night, you sometimes get a good night's sleep. Uh, but anyway, so the sun goes down, and it comes back up the next morning. So the next day, the sun comes back up, and these guys who had spent time with Jesus, who had seen where Jesus was staying, they're like, you know what? We'd like to go back. We'd like to go back to where he is. We'd like to spend some more time with Jesus. Well, look at what happens. The Bible says this in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him, followed to where Jesus was staying, right? Followed to where Jesus was staying, spent some time with him. The next day, again, they want to go back over. Watch what verse 41 says. 
he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. You notice that exclamation point? Everybody say exclamation point. That's a fun word to say. Anyway, he says, we have found the Messiah. We, and he brought Simon to Jesus. So what did Andrew do? He brought Simon to Jesus. Again, I want you to notice a few things. First off, I want you to notice that Andrew here was not a professional Christian. I mean, he had not studied all the biblical texts, you know. He had not gone to seminary to get some sort of degree. He had not gotten a certificate at a school of ministry. He had not become this great speaker who could sell uh, ketchup uh, popsicle to a lady wearing white gloves in July. He had not done any of those things. He didn't know the Roman road to salvation, but he had spent time with Jesus, and it did something to him. It did something to him on the inside. It caused him to have excitement. It caused him to have passion. Remember that exclamation point. We have found the Messiah. Some of us would do a much better job leading other people to Jesus if we just get excited about Jesus and get passionate about Jesus and get passionate about who he is and what he has done for you. That would help you lead other people to Christ if you had passion. If you had passion, man, think about it. Think about the way that you and I sometimes talk about God and the things of God. It's no wonder people don't want to be associated with. I mean, think about it. I've got to go to church today. It's boring. It takes forever. What's that God they're talking about? Man, I wish he'd hurry up, right? That's how we are sometimes. Man, I'm excited when I get to go to the house of God. On vacation, guess where we went? We went to church. That's what we did. We love to go to the house of God. Think about how we talk about our Bibles. We talk about our Bibles like it's not even important. Well, it's just too wordy. I don't understand what the Word of God is trying to tell me. Well, listen to me. Jesus ain't no liar. He's not. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he said, It is written, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need the Word of God. We need to love the Word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. Notice that exclamation point. I meditate it all, on it all day long. Notice that. He's passionate about the Word of God. He loves the Word of God. Do we? Do we love the Word of God? of God. The truth of the matter is, for so many people who call themselves Christians and followers of Christ, they don't. Think about how we even pray sometimes. It's like something we just got to do. But there's power in our words. There should be power in our words. In fact, the Bible declares there is power in your words. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. How we talk about God, the passion, the tone, the excitement, that can lead someone to Jesus. Andrew didn't lead Simon in a prayer. He didn't. He didn't lead him in a prayer. He just talked about Jesus. We have found the Messiah. He talked about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. Tell people about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And when you do it, do it with passion. But Brother Robert, what if I'm telling somebody about Jesus and they ask me a question that I don't know? What if I'm telling somebody about Jesus and they're resistant, they're hesitant? Well, watch what happens in that same chapter. Again, John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. The Bible says, The next day he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, Follow me. 
Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, his home, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. What do you see at the end of that? An exclamation point. Notice that passion. Again, he is excited about it. And here comes a doubter. Here comes a hater. Philip is excited about Jesus, and look what Nathanael says in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, here's where a lot of us would have shut down. We just said, man, here I'm excited about Jesus and my own friends, my own family. They're, they're, they're giving me flack. They're, they're resistant to what I'm saying. Maybe I do need to dial my, my thoughts about Jesus back. Maybe I do need to just keep my thoughts about Jesus to myself. That's what a lot of us would have thought, but not Philip. All he says in response to can anything good come from Nazareth is what? Come and see. Come and see. See, I'm here to tell you that when you try to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, they probably will ask you a question that you don't know. They might be a little hesitant with you. They might even get ugly with you. But when they do, don't lose your passion. Don't lose your excitement. You look at people who might be resisting you and you say, hey, you know what? You don't have to take my word for it. Come and see. Come and see. Get them to the place where they can meet the one who died for them. Get them to the place where they can meet the one who causes the dead to rise, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk. Get them to a place where they can meet Jesus Christ. You tell them, come and see. That's how we need to be. Come and see so we can lead people to Christ with our lips. And the next thing that I want to point out to you, the next way that we can lead people to Christ is with our loot. With our loot. It all starts with an L, okay? They all start with an L. With our loot. What does that mean, Robert? Well, I'm talking about our stuff. The things that we have. See, the Bible tells a crazy story in 2 Kings chapter 9 about four lepers who were sitting outside the gate of Samaria. There's this terrible famine that's going on, and the city is being sieged, is being, is being attacked, basically, and things are so bad. I mean, Walmart didn't have any milk. Walmart didn't have any bread. Walmart really is. They, they are empty, and so people are so hungry. The women in the city, you know what they're doing? They're actually eating their children. It's a messed up situation just to survive. It's a messed up situation, but Elisha, a mighty prophet of God, he makes this bold prediction. He says, you know what? Things might be bad right now, but tomorrow at this time, there's going to be so much food. It's going to be so abundant in this place. And people look at Elisha like he's crazy. Elisha, have you, did you not even notice that Kroger shut down? Kroger and Walmart, everything is gone. There are no trucks coming in. Well, remember those four lepers that I was telling you about? So they're sitting outside that gate. They're sitting outside that gate. And, of course, they're not able to go into the city because they're unclean. They're unclean, and so they really literally are starving. Nobody's giving them food. They can't go into the city to get food, and so they have this thought. You know what? They say, if we sit here, we're going to die. We're going to die, but maybe if we go to the enemy camp, maybe if we go to the enemy camp, they'll be merciful to us. They'll be merciful to us, and they'll, they'll give us food, and they'll let us live. I mean, we're going to die anyway. And so they make the decision to go to the enemy camp. And when they get there, man, they, the enemy camp has been deserted. 
See, God had caused the enemy camp to hear the sound of a great army and great chariots coming in, and it scared this army so much that they just left. Not only did they leave, but they left behind all their supplies, all their valuables, their gold, their silver, their clothes, their their animals. They left everything behind because they didn't want to die, and they wanted to get out of there. So these four lepers roll up on that situation. It's like they hit the jackpot. It is. They're going into people's tents, man. They're grabbing grapes, and they're chewing on grapes. I mean, grape juice is just dripping down their beard and all this other good stuff. Man, they're making a mess. One guy's walking around with a turkey leg. You say, Pastor, the Bible doesn't say that. Well, it might not say that, but that might have happened, okay? So they're going in there, and they're trying on all these clothes. They're looking at each other saying, man, you look great in that. You look great in that. And then they're walking out to the garages, and there's the brand-new latest horses and donkeys. Man, they got leather saddles cup holders. You know what I'm saying? Air conditioned. Of course, you got to be riding fast, but they got all that stuff. They got those things, man. And they're like, man, this is nice. They have really gone from rags to riches in an instant. In an instant. If this was us, we'd be thinking, man, I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. You know what I'm saying? We'd be excited. That's what we'd be excited about. We would be excited, but these guys, these guys, their conscience begins to gnaw at them. They realize something. They begin to think about all those other people in the city who are suffering. And in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9, the Bible says, Then they said to each other, We're not doing what is right. They say, Hey, you know what? God didn't give us all this stuff just for us, for us to hoard it and say, It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. No, He gave us this. He blessed us with this so that we can bless others. So they go back to the city and they tell everybody in the city where they can find abundant supplies, where they can find everything they need. And what Elisha the prophet had predicted comes true. And people praise God. They shared their loot. They shared their stuff. And people, again, praised God. That whole story illustrates the message of Zechariah chapter 8 verse 13, where God says, I will save you and you will be a blessing. I will save you, and you will be a blessing. I'm telling you, God's people are blessed to bless others. They are blessed so they can bless others. I want you to see something interesting in the Bible. In James chapter 1, verse 17, look what the Bible says. It says, every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights. With him, there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. Cast by turning. So, so God blesses us. This is how I, I, I kind of want to illustrate it to you. So check this out. Let's, let's pretend. Everybody know what this is? It is a glass. You, no trick questions here, okay? This is a glass. There's a glass. Nothing special about this glass. Uh, it's a nice glass, okay? And then, you know, uh, what, let's pretend like this is us. This is us, okay? Let's pretend. Everybody with me? Put your, put your imagination cap on. Y'all with me? Okay, you're with me. All right. So here's what happens in our life. God blesses us. Let me open this up. God blesses us. He gives us life. He gives us stuff. He gives us the ability to work, see, to make money, to do things. We got so many shoes, we don't even wear them. We got clothes in our closets that we never use. He gives us all this stuff, and it's not just so that we can have it, you know. 
He blesses us with an abundance so that it can overflow into the lives of the people who are around us. He blesses us so that we truly can bless others. If you're trying to keep everything that God has given you for yourself, I'm telling you, that's not right. That's not right because God wants you to be a blessing to others, and he just keeps pouring out his blessing on us. I want you to know God is always good. He's good to you. He's good to me. He's good to each and every one of us. And a lot of times what happens for us is when God blesses us and then we, we give to somebody else, you know what happens? A lot of times when we give to somebody else, we say, look what I did for them. Come on, anybody ever done that? After what I did for them and they're going to treat me like that? You ever had those kind of thoughts? I know I have. I know I have. After all I have done for them, why in the world I've had those types of thoughts? But I want you to know that if you ever have those types of thoughts, man, that is not of God. Because check this out again. James 1.17, we just read it. Look at this. Let's read it. Every. Everybody say every. Every. Not some. Not a lot. Every generous act and every. Everybody say every. Every generous act and every. Every, every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's not you and me that's giving and being generous to other people. It's God who generously gives to us and through us so that other people can come to know his goodness and his greatness. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're thinking, I don't have a whole lot. I don't have a whole lot. I'm not really blessed. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, that's stinking thinking. (laughs) Yeah, that is stinking thinking. And we need to do away with stinking thinking. I'm telling you, God has been good to us. If you've got food in your fridge, if you've got clothes on your back, a roof over your head, a place for you to sleep tonight, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you've got money in your wallet, money in the bank, some loose change, you are in the world's top eight percent of wealthy people. If you woke up this morning with more health than you did sickness, you are more blessed than the one million people who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of of battle or, or truly being starved, you are more blessed than the 500 million people alive today who are suffering. But pastor, I don't have much. Pastor, my house is a mess. Pastor, there's dirty dishes in my sink. Thank God for dirty dishes. Because they got a tale to tell. While others may be hungry, we're eating pretty well. With home health and happiness, we shouldn't want to fuss. Because of the stack of evidence before us, it's clear that God's been good to us. God is good. He's blessed us. We are blessed. And we are blessed to bless others. And I promise you, I promise you, you can be generous. I promise you, you can give. And when you are like that, when you give to people generously, they'll look at you and say, why? Why would you be so generous to me? Why would you give? And you know what you have an opportunity to say? Because God's been good to me. God has blessed me. He's been good to me. And if you don't know him, I promise you, he'll be good to you. He'll be good for you. We can lead people to Christ with our loot, with the stuff that we have. So we can lead people to Christ with our lips. We can lead people to Christ with our loot. And finally, the last way I want you to see that you and I can lead people to Christ is with our life. With our life. And this is the 
most important because there are some people who aren't going to listen to anything you tell them. You know what I'm talking about? They're not going to listen. They're not. A guy by the name of Stephen, he is the first Christian martyr. He's the first person to die for his faith in Christ. And do you know how he died? He, he died trying to tell people about Jesus. In Acts chapter 7, verses 57 through 58, the Bible says this, Then they, they, the people that Stephen was trying to tell about Jesus, then they screamed at the top of their voices. What did they do? They covered their ears. They covered their ears and then rushed against him. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. They weren't going to listen. They covered their ears. There are some people in your life who, when you try to tell about Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what he's done for you, they're going to cover their ears. They might not literally cover their ears, but they're not going to listen. They're not going to listen. They're not. Then there are also some people that you're going to try to lead to Christ with the blessings that God has given you, and they're not going to accept your stuff. They're not. I mean, you may try to bless them again in Jesus' name, and they're just not, they're just not going to have it. I was talking to one of our church members this past week, and they were telling me about them driving down the road here in Vicksburg, and they saw a man who was walking barefooted. He was walking barefooted, and they thought to themselves, man, that, that's got to that's be bad. That pavement's got to be hot. That guy's feet. And so they stopped what they were doing, and they went to Walmart and bought some sandals for this man. They bought some sandals, and then they rushed back out to the last place that they saw the man. It took them a little while to find him, but they finally did. They, they found him, and as they were pulling up beside the man, they rolled down the window, and they said, Hey, sir, hey, sir, I've got something for you. I've got you some, I've got you some shoes because I know your feet have to be hot. I, I got you some shoes. And the guy looked at this person from our church and said, Well, unless there's a $100 bill with those shoes, I don't want it. True story. There are some people that you're going to try to bless, that you're going to try to bless in Jesus' name, and they're not going to accept what you got. They're not. That's why when our words fail at reaching others for Jesus, and that's why when, 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 when our stuff fails, when we have tried to bless others with what God has given us, when it fails at reaching other people for Jesus, that's why we continue to use our life. We continue to live right. We continue to respond right. We continue to do right. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, I'm wrapping up. But I want you to know that a life that is truly surrendered to God is beautiful. It's beautiful. It really is. And there is, there is this, there's an attractive power to beauty, to things that are beautiful. I did some research this past week, and I found out that 3 million people, 3 million people visit Yellowstone National Park every year. I also found out that 4 million people visit Yosemite National Park every year. And if you can believe this, over 5 million people visit the Grand Canyon every year. Why? Why, why do so many people visit those places? 
because they're attracted to the beauty of those places. Listen to me. When our lives truly reflect the beauty of God and the holiness of God, when our, tri- our lives truly reflect the, the goodness of God and the joy of God, people will see that and they'll say, wow, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I want that for my life. I want that for my life. Remember what Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Jesus said, if you follow him, you will lead people to Christ when they see the way you live your life. It's time for you and I to get to work because God is expecting us to lead people to Christ. There are people in your life, people in my life, people all around us whose eternity is at stake. Let's lead them. Let's lead them to the one who died for them. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But today, there might be somebody here who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior. I just want you to know that the reason why God brought you here today you think it's just because somebody invited you or you think it's just because because it's something you're supposed to do. God brought you here today so that you could hear about the one who loves you so much, so that you could hear about the one who forgives no matter what. God brought you here so that you could surrender your life to him. And so if you're here today and you know that you need to be saved, you know you need to give your heart to him, I'm going to ask right where you are that you lift your hand because I want to pray for you. But you know you need to be saved today. Amen. Amen. You know you need to be saved. You need to give him your heart. You need to surrender to him. Look, if you raised your hand, I'm going to ask that you just repeat after me. That you pray. Father, today, I surrender to you. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. I thank you for your sacrifice for me. And I pray today that I would walk out of this room truly different, truly on fire for you, that your Holy Spirit would fill my heart and my life so that there's no turning back. Thank you, Father, for saving me. Also, just want to kind of challenge each person in this room. Again, you may, you may know Jesus. You confess him as your Lord. Well, I just want to encourage you that when you leave this place, that you have some excitement and passion in your walk with God, that you're truly able to tell others about who Jesus is, what he's done for you, And that you can invite them to to just come and see. Come and see who Christ is. Father, help us to be your people, I pray. Help us to be about your business, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.